your voice could tell someone else a story, what truths would come to light? You're listening to Myths and Morals, a podcast focused on retelling of ancient stories, complete with their fascinating characters, intricate plots, and dramatic scenes that span the entire spectrum of the human experience. You'll hear tales of love, loyalty, betrayal, revenge, and more from epics that have endured thousands of years. My name is Girish, and I'll be your host. In this episode, we talk about Princess Samba, a woman consumed by the need for revenge after suffering a life-altering betrayal by one of the most dominating male figures of Mahabharata. Driven to years of extreme self-denial in her pursuit of vengeance, Amba is seen as one of the most tragic characters who transforms into possibly the first transgender hero in Indian mythology. Shantanu was the king of Hastinapur and the great-grandfather of the Pandavas and the Kauravas. He loved to take long walks by the river. One day, on the shores of River Ganga, he saw a beautiful young lady and immediately fell in love with her. His father had told him that this would happen, that he would meet a lady who may want to have his children and that he should marry her without asking too many questions. Strange as the command was, he didn't have any problem following it because it was love at first sight. And the lady agrees to marry him on one condition. He should never, ever question her actions. And if he does, she would leave him immediately. Shantanu remembered his father's advice and thought to himself, what's the worst that could happen? And immediately agreed to her proposal. So they get married and his heart is filled with joy. Soon after, she gets pregnant and Shantanu is so excited. He couldn't wait to be a father and it seemed like nothing could go wrong in his life. Several months later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy and Shantanu's happiness knew no bounds. But nothing could have prepared him for what was about to happen next. His wife takes a newborn baby to River Ganga where she and Shantanu had first met and with a strange sense of calmness, she gently immerses the baby in the river and holds him under water until he dies. Shantanu is stunned. Did he just witness his wife drowning their baby? What kind of a mother murders her own child? As he stood there speechless, she reminded him of his promise and walked away. Shantanu is horrified and confused, but he decides to keep his promise and not ask her why she committed this great sin. Her actions, though, continue to haunt him. Time passes, she gets pregnant again. Shantanu is extremely worried and paranoid, but he chooses to keep his fear to himself. He quietly hopes that she wouldn't repeat her evil action. Soon after, she gives birth to another baby boy, and to Shantanu's horror, she proceeds to drown their second child in the same river. Shantanu cannot believe what is happening. He's absolutely devastated, but her words keep ringing in his ears. If he questions her actions, she would leave him. And somehow, even after all this, he inexplicably still finds himself hopelessly in love with her and cannot imagine a life without her in it. Shantanu's misery continues. She gets pregnant again and has another baby boy, drowns him too. And she keeps doing this over and over again, one by one, seven babies in a row. When she takes her eighth child to the river, Shantanu finally snaps. 
Please stop. Why do you keep killing our babies? Who are you? He cries. She looks at him with tears in her eyes and says, "You broke your promise. Now I have to leave you." Shantanu knew this was going to happen. But what was he supposed to do? Stand by and watch as the love of his life killed all their children? His choice was to either be a happy husband or a happy father, but not both. What kind of game is this? And how come he's still in love with this monster? Forget what's wrong with her, what's wrong with him? What is happening? Shantanu stood there overwhelmed with emotions. He needed answers and she was ready to give them. She pulls herself together, takes a deep breath, and calmly begins to explain to him. I am River Goddess Ganga in human form, and I understand your anger. But all of this was destined to happen, Shantanu. I was merely dealing with a curse from a previous life, she says. What curse? Shantanu asks as he looks at their son she was still holding, hoping that he could save him. Ganga begins to explain. A long time ago, There were these eight gods called Ashtavasus who stole Kamadenu the magnificent cow of a powerful sage named Vashishth who then cursed them to be born as mortals but after a lot of begging and pleading by the gods sage Vashishth calms down when he learns that it was god Dyu who decided to steal the cow and the other seven were only helping him out he decides that Dyu deserved the worst punishment but not the rest So he tells the others that their life as mortals will be extremely short but Dyu on the other hand will live a long life imprisoned in his mortality and even though he will lead a life of honor and strength he will never enjoy the companionship of a woman so the ashtavasus sadly accept their fate and go on to meet river ganga who agrees to conceive them in her womb because they don't want to be born to a normal human being and the gods ask her to drown them immediately after they are born thus releasing them from their curse apparently they didn't want to spend even an extra second living as a human being if they can avoid it but how would ganga a goddess herself give birth to mortal beings well it turns out that ganga herself was cursed to be a born as a mortal just a few minutes before she met these ashtavasus The story goes that there was a king named Mahabhisha who had done all the tough rituals and prayers and gained access to heaven where gods lived. One day he went to visit Lord Brahma and he was struck by the beauty of River Ganga in her goddess form. So while everyone bowed to Brahma and paid their respects, Mahabhisha's eyes were on Ganga. Brahma got angry and cursed Mahabhisha to be born as mortal. Mahabhisha immediately apologized and requested that he be born as a son of king pratipa brahma granted this request and thus it was mahabhisha who was reincarnated as shantanu weird thing is that brahma also cursed river ganga to be born as mortal which doesn't seem fair because it wasn't her fault that mahabhisha stared at her the whole time he then tells her that she will not be able to return to heaven like the goddess that she is until she breaks mahabhisha's heart in their next life Anyway that explains why she drowned all seven babies except for the eighth one who is god Dyu and per his curse he will have to live a long life Ganga realizes that she has put Shantanu through hell and so she promises to make it up to him by making sure their eighth baby boy named Gangadath or Gangaputra meaning son of Ganga 
will have the best education and the best training from gods themselves. Their son would be highly respected and be known for his skills, wisdom, virtue and honor. And he'll also be an obedient son. And then she disappears with their baby. And by doing so, she breaks Shantanu's heart. And thus her curse from Brahma ends and she returns home to heaven with her son. This was too much for Shantanu to bear. His wife just abandoned him and took their son with her. He returns home and falls into depression. Years go by as he tries to cope with his grief. Finally, he decides to focus all his attention to running his kingdom just so that he can escape his sorrow. And it worked. He gained more and more admirers as his singular focus helped him expand his empire. His army grew and so did his power and his kingdom ran like a well-oiled machine. He formed alliances with kings across the country who gladly pledged their allegiance. By all measures, he was a successful emperor, but there was still a gaping void in his heart that could not be filled with any materialistic wealth. Shantanu couldn't stop thinking about his son and he truly missed his wife. One day he goes for a walk on the shores of River Ganga and notices a handsome young boy who checked the river's flow with an unearthly weapon. The boy looks at Chantanu and quickly disappears. Who was this kid that could control River Ganga herself, the queen of all rivers? Chantanu's instinct and curiosity told him to pursue the identity of that boy. He asked the river about the kid and out of the river emerged Goddess Ganga herself and she brought the boy with her. She introduced him to Shantanu. This is our son, Gangaputra. He is also known as Devavrat, meaning the one devoted to gods. I have raised him well, Shantanu, and as I promised, he was trained by the gods themselves. He has studied all the Vedas, the holy scriptures. He is a skilled archer and is trained to use all the weapons in the world. He is destined to have a great future, and he is all yours now. Shantanu couldn't believe his luck. He is beyond thrilled and takes his son back to his capital, where everyone welcomes and celebrates the return of their lost prince. Shantanu is proud of how his son turned out and tries to make up for all the time he lost with him. For a short while, things seemed to return back to normal for Shantanu, and he relished every moment of it. One day, Shantanu was taking a walk on the shores of River Yamuna where he meets Satyavati, the daughter of the chief of fishermen. He loves her scent and decides to ask her father for her hand in marriage. Her father says Shantanu can marry his daughter only on one condition. Their children must have the right to the throne after Shantanu's time as king. He tells the chief he cannot do that because his first son Devrat is a crown prince. But the chief refuses to change his mind and Shantanu returns home disappointed. When Devavrat finds out about this, he feels bad. He loves his father way too much to watch him waste away. So he visits the chief of the fishermen and promises him that he will give up his rights to the throne. The chief says, I trust you, but what if you get married and have children of your own? How do I know they won't cause any trouble? Devavrat realizes that the only way to convince Ativati's father is to publicly take a vow of celibacy, meaning he will never marry or have sexual relations with anyone. 
just so that his father could marry the woman he loves. This powerful vow is why Devavrat was since then known as Bhishma, which literally means one who undertakes a fierce vow. The chief seems satisfied and gives his consent. Devavrat, aka Bhishma, then takes Satyavati to his father, who cannot believe the sacrifice that his son just made to make him happy. He grants him a boon that allows Bhishma to select the time and place of his own death. In other words, Bhishma could live as long as he wants and will not die until he chooses to do so out of his own free will. Time goes by. Shantanu and Satyavati have two children, Chitrangada and Vichitravirya. After Shantanu's departure, Bhishma makes Chitrangada the king for Satyavati's command. But Chitrangada dies in a battle and Bhishma has no choice but to place his younger brother, Vichitravirya, who was still a child, on the throne. Bhishma governed Hastinapur as a proxy while waiting for his half-brother to grow up, get trained and be ready to take over the affairs of the kingdom. Years later, after Vichitravirya became an adult, Bhishma set out to find a bride for his half-brother. He learned about the three princesses of Kashi named Amba, Ambika and Ambalika. It was the day of their Swambara, which means the brides get to choose their husbands. So kings from around the country had lined up in Kashi, hoping they would get picked. Bhishma storms the castle and kidnaps all the three princesses. And he defeats all the kings who had assembled there, including King Shalva, whom Amba had promised to choose as her husband. As soon as Bhishma brings them back to Hastinapur, Amba tells him that she wants to marry Shalva and that he should let her go. Vichitravirya agrees and tells Bhishma that he cannot marry a woman whose heart belongs to another man. Now Ambika and Ambalika, on the other hand, had no problems with their kidnapping or marrying Vichitravirya. I mean, he was a king of Hastinapur after all. So Bhishma apologizes to Princess Amba and allows her to leave. Full of hope and happiness, she decides to go to Shalva instead of returning to her parents in Kashi. Shalva, however, was still seething from his humiliating defeat at the hands of Bhishma and couldn't get over it. Amba tried to convince him to move on. Now that she's back, they could start their new life together like they'd always wanted. But Shalva pushed her away. The shame would be too much to take you back now, he said. Amba couldn't believe how quickly he abandoned her. All those years of true love vanished in the face of his ego. His pride took priority over her love for him. Stunned by his selfishness, she left his palace. She blamed her father for not just marrying her off to Shalva early on and for waiting to do it at the Swayamvara. She then blamed herself for not jumping off of Bhishma's chariot when he kidnapped her and her sisters. But she quickly realized that it was Bhishma who deserved to be blamed for her plight. He had ruined her life, but she had no way to get her revenge. What was she going to do? Everyone knew Bhishma was invincible. He was the mightiest warrior on earth. She was just a princess with no training in anything. But Amba was determined to seek vengeance against Bhishma. As she leaves the city, she's all alone and wanders aimlessly with nowhere to go. When she stumbles upon an ashram, a place where sages and ascetics live, They welcome her and listen to her story. Feeling sorry for her, 
They offer to take her back to her parents in Kashi. She refuses. She didn't want to risk losing what's left of her dignity at the hands of her relatives. All I want is to make Bhishma pay for his crimes against me, she said. A royal sage named Hotravahana visits the same ashram and he hears from the other sages about her story and decides to go meet her. That's when he realizes that Amba is none other than his own granddaughter. He tells her that she's absolutely right in that Bhishma deserves to be punished and tells her to go meet his friend, Sage Parshurama, a highly respected and skilled teacher of archery, who might be able to help her. Finally, a glimmer of hope, she thinks. The next morning, she meets Parshurama, who patiently hears her story. He first offers to go speak to King Shalva on her behalf, but she rejects it immediately. I want you to defeat Bhishma in a battle. Slay him for me. That's my only request. Parshurama is put in an awkward situation. On one hand, he wants to help her out because she is the granddaughter of his very good friend. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to fight Bhishma because Parshuram was Bhishma's teacher. That's right. Remember when I told you that Ganga promised Shantanu that their son would be trained by the best teachers in the world, including gods themselves? Well, Parshurama is an incarnation of Lord Vishnu. Anyway, Parshurama finally relents and decides to go talk to Bhishma. He asks him to fix this mistake by marrying Amba, but Bhishma politely refuses, reminding him of his vow of celibacy. Angered by his refusal, Parshurama warns his former student of the consequences of his action, but Bhishma, fully aware that he will have no choice but to battle his teacher, doesn't change his mind. You see, no one wanted this to happen. The teacher didn't want to fight his student, and the student didn't want to fight his teacher. But fate had decided otherwise, and both men, bound by their vows, had decided to fight for their principles. So a huge battle ensues between both men, and it goes on for days. It doesn't seem like either one was going to lose. At one point, both of them decided to use Brahmastra, one of the most destructive weapons, and the clash of both arrows annihilated the entire region releasing so much heat and energy that the seas, mountains, trees, animals all started to tremble. The gods up in the heaven had decided enough is enough and asked both men to back off. Parashram decided to give up the fight and sadly told Amba that he had failed in his mission. Bhishma cannot be defeated by anyone. He was too strong, too powerful and too skilled to be vanquished in a proper battle. He asks Amba to go back to Bhishma and work something out. But Amba says, while she's grateful for Parashram doing his best to avenge her, she was not going to go back to Bhishma. She knew it was not going to be easy for anyone to defeat Bhishma, including his own teacher. But that doesn't mean her passion to seek vengeance has diminished. She decides that the only way left for her to get her revenge was to pray to Lord Shiva with utmost sincerity, no matter how long it takes until he comes down to her from heaven and grants her a wish. Thus, she sets out to turn into an ascetic by moving out of public life, living in the woods and mountains and giving up all desire for wealth or happiness, solely focusing on prayers. This was not an easy thing to do. Millions of men try this every year and give up. A small fraction of the ones who actually make it end up gaining special powers 
but it was hard work and usually took them decades of living a life of severe austerity and punishing discipline to get to that level. The other ascetics tried to stop Amba. They warned her that as a princess, she had lived a life of comfort and luxury without experiencing any kind of hardship. Living a life like an ascetic would be the straight opposite of that. There's no way she was going to be able to handle it. They suggested that it would be a lot easier if she just went back to her parents. But Amba was ready. She was willing to do whatever it takes to kill Bhishma. That was literally the only thing on her mind as she stood there like a pillar in the waters of Yamuna for an entire year, surviving on just air. She didn't eat anything, drink anything, and became completely emaciated. She lost all her weight. Her skin became dry and dirty. Her hair got matted. And the next year, she took it to a whole new level by standing on her toes and ate just one fallen leaf from a tree. Now this continued for 12 years before her hardcore prayers started heating up the heavens. She was unstoppable. She wandered around earth and continued her penance until one day, goddess Ganga appeared in front of her and had asked her why she was doing this. When Amba told her that her goal was to kill Bhishma, who was of course the son of river Ganga, Ganga became furious and she cursed Amba to become a crooked river filled with crocodiles in her next birth. Amba doesn't care. She continues her prayers and the other ascetics start freaking out at her resolve and beg her to stop. She tells them she won't give up until she obtains manhood so she can train to be a warrior and slay Bhishma. At that moment, Lord Shiva appears in front of her and grants her wish. You will be the cause of Bhishma's death. Amba is overwhelmed with happiness and gratitude. She tries to keep her composure and asks Shiva, how can she kill him as she is a woman with no training in warfare? Shiva says that she will be born as a boy to King Drupad in her next life and will gain all the training she needs to be able to defeat Bhishma. For the first time in a long while, she smiles and goes to the nearby forest to collect wood, which she then uses to build a huge fire on the banks of River Yamuna. She stares at the fire as it rages and its embers seem to touch the sky. She then calmly enters the blazing fire with an unsettling smile on her face as she says her final words. I'm coming for you Bhishma. Meanwhile, King Drupad had also been praying to Lord Shiva asking for a child. And Shiva tells him that he'll have a child who will be both a female and a male. Drupad is confused and requests Shiva to give him a son instead. And Shiva tells Drupad that this is destined to happen and he should just accept it. So when Drupad tells his wife that they are going to have a daughter, but she'll become a man later on, she is also confused. But they decide to roll with it. A year later, a beautiful girl is born to them and they name her Shikandini. However, they tell everyone that it's a boy and raise her like one. They try to keep it a closely guarded secret, but Bhishma knew because he had spies in every kingdom and kept track of every move of Amba throughout her previous life after she was rejected by Shalva. Anyway, Shikandini was given all the training a prince would normally get and she excelled at everything including writing, painting, arts, all the way to archery and other weapons of war. When she became an adult, her parents wanted to get her married 
But to whom? They knew that Lord Shiva said she would turn into a male at some point, and they did their best to raise her like a boy to make that transition easy on her. But she's yet to change into a man, and Lord Shiva's words can't be false. So what should they do now? How long should they wait? Maybe it would be the marriage that finally completes her transformation? They wondered. So they decide to get Shikhandani married to the daughter of King Hiranyavarman of a neighboring kingdom. But soon after, the truth came out, and King Hiranyavarman was mad. Drupad had ruined his daughter's life by lying to them about their son's gender. Drupad tried to pacify Hiranyavarman and said that Shikhandini was in fact a man. He was hoping and praying that his daughter's transformation would happen soon. Otherwise, Hiranyavarman would invade his kingdom and kill everyone. Shikhandini overheard her parents' conversation and learned the truth about her birth. It explains so much of her childhood where something just didn't feel right. She was filled with shame and embarrassment and went to a forest to kill herself. There she meets a yaksha, a magic demon named Stuna, who takes pity on her and offers to loan her his manhood in exchange for her womanhood, so that when Hiranyavarman arrives at their castle, she can prove to him, her father-in-law, that she's a man after all. But after that, she must return to the forest and return what she borrowed. Shikandini gratefully accepts Stuna's offer and changes into a man immediately. Shikandini is now Shikhandi. He feels like he's born again and races home to tell his parents what happened. King Drupad and his wife realize that this is what Lord Shiva meant when he said their daughter will become a man at some point. They hug their son and proceed to go talk to King Hiranyavarman, who is now convinced that his son-in-law is in fact a man and calls off the invasion. Meanwhile, the king of Yakshas come to find out that Stuna is now a woman and summons him to his court and asks for an explanation. Unconvinced by his reasoning, the king curses Stuna to remain a woman forever. But the other demons or Yakshas beg their king to change his mind. They said Stuna had a good heart and did this only to help Shikandi out. Their king finally changes his mind and says that Stuna can have his manhood back after the death of Shikhandi. So when Shikhandi goes back to the forest to keep his word, Stuna tells him what happened and says that all of this was supposed to happen and nothing could have been done to prevent it. Stuna wishes Shikhandi all the best as he will now spend the rest of his life as a man. Several years later, when the Kurukshetra war was declared between the cousins Pandavas and the Kauravas, Bhishma, the grand-uncle to both, was forced to pick the side of the Kauravas. Bound by the warrior's code, he promised Duryodhana, the oldest of the Kaurava brothers, that he will not shun his duties as a soldier and will fight till his death to protect the Kauravas and their kingdom. But he also vowed not to kill the Pandavas, as they were also his grand-nephews, and they will not die by his hands. This did not surprise Duryodhana because he knew how much Bhishma loved them all. But what did surprise him was when Bhishma declared that he will not fight Shikhandi, the young prince from Pancha, who also happened to be the brother-in-law of the Pandavas. But what made Shikhandi so special? Duryodhana wondered. Why wouldn't Bhishma fight him? So when Bhishma explained to Duryodhana that Shikhandi was none other than Princess Samba, whose life he had ruined by kidnapping her on the day she was going to get married, Duryodhana was speechless. So what will happen now? What if Shikhandi attacks Bhishma on the battlefield? I will not fight him, 
I have taken a vow not to fight any woman or someone who used to be a woman or someone who takes the form of a woman. It's as simple as that, Bhishma replies sternly. Man or a woman, Amba had been through hell to earn her revenge and she deserved every bit of the satisfaction she was going to get from slaying Bhishma and he had decided that he was not going to get in our way. The war begins. Millions are slaughtered day after day. Bhishma stands tall and fights like a tiger. Nothing and no one can get past him. On the 10th day of the war, Arjuna takes Krishna's advice and goes to battle Bhishma with Shikhandi standing in front of him, providing cover. He knows that Bhishma wouldn't attack Shikhandi. Their strategy works. Bhishma sees Shikhandi and he puts his bow down and looks away. Dozens of arrows from the bows of Arjuna and Shikhandi pierce his armor as he stumbles over and falls from his chariot. He remembers that his father gave him the power to choose the time of his death. So he lays there in excruciating pain on the battlefield, on a bed of arrows, propping him up from the ground as he waits for an auspicious time to die so that he can attain salvation or moksha. Everyone stops fighting and walk up to him to pay their final respects. Bhishma is soaked in blood and unable to move. He tells Arjuna that he's thirsty. Arjuna shoots an arrow so deep into the earth that a jet stream of water rises up from the ground straight into Bhishma's mouth. It is widely believed that the water was from none other than his own mother, River Ganga, who gave him his last sip before he died. Shikhandi was eventually killed by Ashwatthama, son of Drona, on the 18th day of the battle. Two lives full of anger, resentment and bitterness that had transformed into raging fire seeking justice and revenge had finally burned down after destroying the mightiest warrior of all time. This was the only way Bhishma's life and legend could have concluded. And this was the only way the Kurukshetra war could have ended. Because as long as Bhishma was there, the Kauravas could not have been defeated. So Amba, aka Shikhandi, took on powerful men in both their lives. Men who kidnapped her, abused her, humiliated her and threatened her of terrible consequences if she didn't back down. And she paid dearly for standing up to them. But nothing was going to stop her from getting justice. And while it took a long time, the most popular and possibly first ever transgender hero in Indian mythology finally got her revenge. Well, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to help us out, tell your friends about the show. Also, visit mythsandmorals.com for more content and follow us on social media at Myths and Morals. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.